0: Taught them many other things as well in his teachings, and sometimes he used the same kind of material in different contexts and in different ways, uh, and applied it in different ways. And this morning we're looking at Luke's uh, account of the Lord's Prayer, uh, and so it's a little bit different than Matthew's uh, in a couple of small ways. Uh, but we're going to look at Luke's version. If you uh, want to look at Matthew's version, we had a series called "Pray Like This" that's on our website. Uh, and we walked through Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer for several weeks. Um, and one of the things that's been really interesting and uh, really helpful for me is when we come to a, a famous passage like this, sometimes we have a temptation to just kind of read over it quickly because we've heard it before. But each time, if, if we will sit underneath uh, God's Spirit and His leading. He will continue to show us uh, deeper treasures in his word, and he'll continue to show us new things even as we read the same passage over and over again. And so maybe you've had this experience where you have read a passage of scripture that you thought you've known very, very well, and then you read it uh, a couple years down the road, and all of a sudden you see something in that passage that was there the whole time, but the Spirit of God shows it to you in a fresh way. He applies it to your life in a certain way that you didn't think of before. And I think oftentimes that's why it's so valuable to dive deep into the Lord's prayer. is because the Lord is constantly teaching us more about what it means to be in relationship with him in prayer, in conversation, through this beautiful prayer that he gives us as an example. And so as we're, as we're turning to Luke 11, and I want to ask you a question. You all know that I love, I love questions, because I think questions begin to reveal some things about us. Questions are really important, and so the question this morning is, is I just want to ask, how is your relationship with God? Seems like a, a fairly straightforward question, right? But maybe a question that sometimes we're not really certain how to answer, Whenever I, whenever I ask that question, the response I tend to get and the response that uh, I would have given for many years is as I would have immediately begin, begun to think, okay, how many times did I read my Bible this week? Okay, okay how much have I prayed this week? And, and we begin to think about all these spiritual disciplines and kind of the quantity of our relationship with God. We start thinking about, oh, I've done, I've done this in my relationship with God this week. I, I, well, I haven't done a great job there, and so maybe next week I need to do better. And that's how we start to think about answering that question, how is your relationship with God going? But, but I want us to reframe that a bit this morning, because, because really what, what I want us to see this morning is not a message that says, hey, you need to pray more, and you need to pray more prayers like this. Though we all need to pray more and we all need to pray more prayers like the one we're about to read. But I want us to get at more of a quality question than a quantity question. Because if we're all honest, we could all do more when it comes to spiritual disciplines, okay? Reading our Bible, praying, all, all these different things. But when I ask that question, how is your relationship with God? How's it going? I I want that to get at a quality question. I I, I want it to get at, what does your relationship with God look like right now? When you pray, not not how often are you praying, but when you pray, what do your prayers look like? What are you saying to God? What does your relationship with him look like right now? Whenever you read his word, what is he speaking to you through his word? What is he saying to you in your life right now? What does your relationship with him look like? And does it look like a relationship between a son or a daughter and their father who loves them? Or does it look like you saying some things and leaving a message for someone that you met years ago, but you don't really know him that well? Because I think oftentimes that's more what our relationship with God looks like, isn't it? It looks like us leaving a voicemail or sending an email to someone that we met a couple times and we kind of know them. But it doesn't look like this intimate relationship with our creator who's also our father that loves us as the kids. And, And prayer ought to take us to that place. And so when I ask this morning, how is your relationship with God? That's what I'm talking about. What does the quality of your relationship with him look like? Not, not the quantity. The quantity is always hopefully going to be in need of some more growth, and, and the quality will too. But I want that to be how you kind of approach this prayer this morning and how Jesus teaches us to pray. Because he's going to teach us some things that if we will allow him to teach us and, and mold us and shape us, we'll vastly change and improve our quality of relationship with our Father. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning is the Lord's Prayer, and there's going to be uh, just five or six things this morning, and then we'll look at some more things that Jesus has to teach us about prayer next week in Luke 11. But here's what we read, Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Would you pray with me one more time as we dive into the Lord's Prayer? Father, we come to you about the way that your son has taught us to pray. And Lord, this morning we look at it one more time and we ask God, would you continue to teach us this morning? Would you show us some new insights this morning into what you've spoken to us? Would you help us to grow in our relationship with you this morning? and to grow in our understanding of what prayer is, what it should look like. God, transform our hearts and our minds. Help us to draw near to you. Because you're a loving Father, and that's what you've invited us in. And so God, we ask these things this morning in your Son's beautiful and redemptive name. Amen. Well, there's five or six things I want us to look at this morning in, in this short prayer, and you'll notice that one of the things about Luke's version is that it is a bit shorter than the version we're typically accustomed to. And so I want to just dive into what Luke presents for us this morning rather than spending time saying, okay, here's all the differences, and dive into some of the things that are in Matthew's version. Instead, let's look at what Luke's trying to get us to see this morning, what the Spirit of God is trying to get us to see through Luke's words. The first thing I want you to to notice is is Jesus was constantly praying okay he, he was he was always uh, retreating and getting some time with his father and 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 praying and he was praying so often and so much and there was such a, a quality to his his prayer life and his relationship with his Father that when the disciples are watching him they 're like, "Gosh, it just doesn 't look like that for us like Jesus." how do we pray? Like, can you teach us how to pray? We've heard that John taught his disciples to pray. And and Lord, we need you to teach us to pray. If you think about it, think how often do you read where Jesus was praying and then the disciples are just like falling asleep, you know? And, And how often does it remind you of your own prayer life where you're like trying to pray and then you're nodding off, you know? And, and, and so we, we have this experience where prayer is kind of difficult for us. Prayer is a tremendously difficult thing. Uh, it, you know, it, it, it never ceases to, to surprise me how often I have conversations with people where they're like, Pastor Grant, I just, I, I, I don't like to pray with other people because I don't really know how to pray. Never been taught how to pray. Like, what do you say? What does it look like? How does it work? And we all have some, some, I think, insecurities about our prayer life and our ability to pray. But, I mean, good news, Jesus just kind of lays out some things for us. He, he gives us some very simple instructions and, and shows us how, how we can start to pray. And so the disciples, they see him praying they see that there's something different about his relationship with the Father, particularly in terms of his prayer life. And they say, Jesus, you've got to teach us. And I think that's this morning what what we want to. Is we want Jesus to teach us to pray. Because Jesus is going to teach us what it means to pray to the Father as a son. And so, Jesus, the, the first thing that I want you to notice this morning is that when we pray, we pray as a son or daughter of the king. Do you notice how he starts his prayer? He says, when you pray, say, and then he's going to list out some things that you should say when you pray. And, and, and a helpful side note here is, is to say, that doesn't mean that when you pray, all your words have to be these exact words every time you pray. Jesus has kind of given us a helpful starting place. He's showing us some things about the relationship between God and us in prayer that can, that can seriously shape and mold our minds and hearts as we approach prayer today. And so your prayer doesn't have to be, Father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's Matthew, but... It doesn't have to be those exact words, but these words will have a profound impact on the words that you do communicate to God in prayer. And the first thing that I want you to see is that he says, he starts his prayer with Father. So Jesus, as the Son of God, is teaching his disciples to pray as sons of God. And the first thing I think he wants us to see this morning about prayer is that when we enter into prayer, if we belong to God through Jesus Christ, then we too come into this relationship with God, this communication with him, this conversation as sons and daughters of the king. He's not some guy we met one time and we left a voicemail or, or we sent an email because we just kind of know him and we were seeing like, hey, what's going on with you? That's not how this relationship is. This relationship is intimate. This relationship is familial. We are a part of God's family through Christ. We are made sons and daughters of the king. And so when you pray, Christian, you get to pray to the God who created everything, not just as the one who sits on the throne, but as your dad who sits on the throne. That, that is utterly transformative. Because instead of praying to someone who doesn't really have to care about what's going on with you and what's going on with your life. You're praying to your heavenly father. You're praying to a dad who loves and cares about his kids and listens and cares about the things that you're bringing to him. The first thing that Jesus teaches us is that we pray to the father and as a side note, it, it, the, the point here isn't that when we pray, we should only pray to the Father and not pray to Jesus the Son or God the Holy Spirit. That's not what Jesus is trying to communicate to us. And, and In fact, it's, it's definitely appropriate to pray to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Because here's the thing about God He's triune, so yes, he exists as Father, Son, and Spirit. They're all co-eternal, meaning they all exist from eternity past and into eternity future forever. And they're all co-equal, which means they are equally God. The Son and the Spirit are just as much God as God the Father is. And so when we pray, we pray to the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we ought to pray to the Father, Son, and Spirit because the Father, Son, and Spirit are intimately involved with your life, with your salvation, with your sanctification and growth in Christ, and with God's eternal redemptive plan in which he is redeeming, and restoring not only us who trust in Christ, but all of creation, what he has made. And so we come as sons and daughters of the king in prayer. That's the point. We come as sons and daughters of our father. And so we can pray to God with a relationship like that. But we can certainly also pray to the son who was sent by the father to accomplish the work of our redemption on the cross. We can certainly pray to the Spirit of God who every time we open up God's word helps us to understand what God has communicated to us and who is constantly doing the work of applying the salvation that Jesus accomplished on the cross for us and bringing about our growth in him. And so friends, we have this beautifully intimate relationship with the God who made us. And the dynamic of it is that he is our father. We come to him as sons and daughters. So the first thing, when you pray, pray to your father as a son or daughter of the king. And then pray, secondly, hallowed be your name. So the second thing we pray is we pray for God to sanctify his name. That word, that word hallowed there, it, it, it could also be read as sanctified be your name. Made holy be your name. And, and, and so when we read that, we kind of pause and, and we think, what does that even mean to pray, God, make your name holy? Isn't it already Holy. Isn't it already sanctified? Well, yeah, God's name is always holy. God's name is always pure. God's name is always honorable. But one of the things that we see throughout the Bible is God's people constantly rebelling against him. And in the eyes of the watching world, their witness to who he is, it it gets tarnished by their actions. And then so God is constantly working for the sake of his own name to demonstrate who he actually is, that he is beautiful, good, true, holy, perfect, righteous, and just, that he is gracious and merciful, that he always does what is right, and that he is the one from before all things and the one who will always be after all things. God is out for the sake of his name to demonstrate his glory, to make his glorious name known throughout all of creation, everything that he has made. And so Jesus, he, he, but from the beginning of this prayer that he teaches us, he he reorients our hearts to be theocentric or God-centered. Instead of focusing in on what's happening with us first, he says, start your prayers with the God that you're praying to and what he's about. Because he's about his glorious and beautiful name. And so if we pray along. Side of that, if we pray towards that end for which God is already working, then what does that mean about our prayers? It means that the prayers we're praying are the kinds of prayers that God loves to answer. And so when we pray this prayer, hallowed be your name, we're saying, God, I know there's a lot of ways in which even I have, in the eyes of others, tarnished the holiness and the goodness of your name and who you are. I've not represented you well, but God, would you, would you demonstrate who you are? Would you make your name holy in the eyes of all of creation? Would you make it known your glory and your goodness? In the book of Ezekiel, we read this about about God. He says this to a people that has rebelled against him, that has, in the eyes of the watching world, tarnished his name through their actions and their rebellion against him. And here's what he says. It says, therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says. It is not for your sake that I will act, house of Israel, but for my holy name, which you profaned among the nations where you went. I will honor the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Listen to this. He says, the nations will know that I am the Lord. This is the declaration of the Lord God when I demonstrate my holiness through you in their sight. And so so God says to his people who have rebelled against him and and profaned his name amongst the nations that he is going to work to demonstrate the holiness of his name. That That's what he's out to do. That's what he's going to do. And so when we pray this prayer, Father, hallowed be your name, we're praying something that God has already said he's going to do, is currently doing, and will no doubt accomplish. He acts for the sake of his name. If you, just think about it. As, as you read the Bible, think about how often when God's people are praying to him, they appeal to the sake of his name. Think about Moses as he interceded for the people of Israel and how he appealed to God's name pursuit of his own holiness his own glory and demonstrating that to the world and Moses as he's interceding for the people and others who intercede for others as well throughout scripture we see that they appeal to the sake of God's holy name in other words, we pray, and when we pray, we say, God, God, here's what I'm asking, but God, would you do it not for my sake, but for the sake of your name and your glory? Would you do this for your glory? Would you redeem me? Would you make me new? Would you help me to grow? not just for my sake, but for the sake of your name, that in that work of redemption in my life, in that work of redemption and restoration in my marriage or with my kids or with my job and what's happening there and and what's going on right now, God, would you work to demonstrate how good and glorious you are? You see how this immediately changes our prayers? Because no longer is it just about us. All of a sudden, prayer isn't even primarily about us. It's primarily about God. And God's plan. And God's glorious name. And here's why that's good news for us. Because God's plan is to bring about the redemption and restoration of his people as he demonstrates the glorious nature of his name to the nations. And so God has ordained and and made it to be so that our good and our redemption is wrapped up in his own pursuit and demonstration of his glory. So that God has made this eternal plan to demonstrate who he is to all of creation, all that he has made, to glorify himself and that he has made it to be in such a way that our redemption and our good is wrapped up in that ultimate pursuit of his, which is to demonstrate his glory in all that he's made. And if you think about it, really this is the story, right? If we go back to the beginning of scripture, When God made man and woman in his image. And then he gave them this task of ruling over creation on his behalf. And ultimately they were to demonstrate through their image bearing, through their representing of him. The glorious nature of the king of creation in the midst of creation. And then we rebelled against this grand purpose of God and plan of his that was good and right and true. And we went our own way and we separated ourselves from him. But then God's plan accounted for all of that. He planned from the beginning to send Jesus, the king, the son of God, to stand in our place and not just to teach us how to pray, but to do that work of reconciling us to himself so that the reason that you and I can pray to God as father is because Jesus was sent by the father for our redemption and that was God's plan to demonstrate his gloriously good name. And the plan's not over, friends. God has accomplished our salvation on the cross of Christ and his resurrection and ascension. And he is currently, continually, working by his powerful spirit in us to make us more like Christ, make us more like him, which then further demonstrates the holiness of his name. As he makes you and I holier, His holy name gets more praise. And so when we pray for God to help us to grow in Christ, ultimately, we ought to be praying this because we are praying this. Father, hallowed be your name. Sanctified be your name. Made holy be your name in the eyes of all the nations which is ultimately the plan, right? Because we read in the book of Revelation at the end of scripture that there will be a day when we worship around the throne and we sing about the great name of our God together with people from all the people groups, all the nations of the earth. This is God's great plan, is to hallow his name. And so, let our prayers start here. That'll utterly transform our prayer life, because all of a sudden, our prayers are about God's plans and not just our own. Does that make sense? It's beautiful. It is. It is beautiful where Jesus starts. Starts us, and it just keeps. It, it keeps being good. So let's let's keep going. The third thing I want you to see this morning is that when we pray, we pray for God to bring His rule and reign. Jesus says, "Father, hallowed be your name, Your kingdom come. The kingdom of God is god 's redemptive rule and reign and, and and I want to pause here and, and think about this a little bit because Uh, the kingdom of God is something that shows up over and over and over again in Scripture. And I think it's one of the things that we most misunderstand. And it's one of the things that the disciples and those who heard Jesus in his day when he was walking the earth and teaching and preaching and healing the sick and doing miracles, it is one of the things that they most misunderstood as well. You see, because the conception then was that the Messiah the Savior, was going to be sent by God to establish a political kingdom on the earth that he was going to overthrow Israel's oppressors, which at the time were the Romans. The conception was that Jesus was going to come and establish God's kingdom by a political and and military victory. That's not what he did, is it? Yes, one, one day, the kingdom of God will be fully established on earth and completed to where it will be very political. It, it will be a legitimate kingdom on earth, physically as well as spiritually. That's, that's the end. But at the beginning, as Jesus is establishing God's kingdom... Where does he establish it first? The hearts of men and women and children. That's where God establishes his kingdom first. It's not this great military or political victory when Jesus comes on the scene. No, instead, God establishes his kingdom spiritually in the hearts and minds of men and women and children who come to him by faith in Christ. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, the primary thing that we ought to be thinking about and praying for is not, and I know I'm going to, this is going to sting a little bit, it's not for America to be a Christian nation. That's not what this prayer is about. And I know in an election season, that stings a little bit deeply for some of us because we so badly want this country to be a place in which we can see kingdom type of virtues on display in our society. But friends, the very nature of following Jesus in this broken world as we are ambassadors sent into a foreign land that does not understand our ways. We are missionaries. The world doesn't look like the kingdom of God. And when we pray, God, your kingdom come, yeah, one day, at the end, when Jesus returns, it, it will. The, the world will be renewed and it will look like God's kingdom. But right now, we are sojourners and strangers. We are those who have been redeemed by God out of this broken world and made a part of a kingdom. And Then we are sent as ambassadors and missionaries to a foreign land that is not like us, that does not like us. <laughs> And so friends, like, if I, if I could just plead with you and, and try to set you free from placing all your hopes in whatever presidential candidate you support. I mean, goodness gracious, it breaks my heart how often I see Christians placing their hope in Trump or Biden. Because it is not where our hope is found. We have a king already. And he is good, and he is just, and he is a redeemer and a friend. And, and, and don't get me wrong, you should wisely engage in the political arena, asking God for his help and wisdom, and you should vote your conscience, and you should do all those things. All of it. It's good to do those things. But don't make that where your hope is. Because hear me when I say this, it will fail you. And you can know that just by looking at history. Because every time it's failed you, hasn't it? Every time we place our hope ultimately in the political arena, in a candidate or a series of candidates, it fails us because that's not where our ultimate hope is to be found. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Jesus is teaching us to pray something that's really beautiful and it's bigger. It is bigger and more beautiful than all your political aspirations and dreams for this country, this city, this state, anything that you can imagine, it is better. It is better than all of it. Jesus is teaching us to pray that God would establish his kingdom and it first happens in the hearts and minds of men, women, and children. And then one day, yes, Jesus will return and he will establish the kingdom of God on earth in a physical sense as well. And so, yes, that is a part of our prayer. But in this time in between the first and the second comings of Christ we are praying about a spiritual battle for the hearts and minds of men and women, for the hearts and minds of your family, for the hearts and minds of your friends, your coworkers, the peoples of the world, the nations. Because like we said, God's plan is to redeem people for himself from all the nations of the earth and so we pray father hallowed be your name your kingdom come and notice how both those are directed us towards him it's theocentric it's god-centered that's where prayer starts it's where it begins all right let's move on the next part, Jesus says, pray, when you pray, say, give us each day our daily bread. And so here's what he's saying, pray for what you need today. And, and, and notice, notice that, as I'm kind of summarizing that with, that with that fourth point, pray for what you need today. So let's talk about the need part first. Because this is this is the bread part. We're praying for bread, okay? We're not praying for steak. You hear me? We're not praying for steak. I love some good steak, okay? Last week, we went to Longhorn after after church, and it was the first time I'd been there in months, and like, hallelujah. I mean, it was beautiful. A, a, a good steak, and listen, you don't go to Texas Roadhouse to get the good steak. You go to Longhorn, okay? That's where it is. So if you know if if you're not a believer yet, just go try me out on it, okay That's where you find the good steak. But when we pray for daily bread, what we are praying for is not steak, friends. Steak is what we would call a want it is it is a good gift of God, it is a pleasure in life. When you can have it, you should enjoy it and praise the Lord for it. but what we're praying for when we say give us each day our daily bread, we're saying God." You are my provider. God, give me today what I need for today. Give me the bread that I need. Give me what I need to be sustained so that I can continue to serve you wherever you have placed me and called me. God, you know what I need. So so give me what I need today. We're not praying, God, give me everything that I want. Listen, you're not going to get everything that you want. It's not how this works. It's not a vending machine, and if you just bring the right things to it, then it, it spits out exactly what you wanted. Or maybe it doesn't. <laughs> That's not how it works. But God is a provider, he's a father, he's a king, and he loves his people, and he knows what you need better than you do. And so you can come to him with this prayer in total confidence that he wants to and will answer this prayer. He won't always give you what you want. Sometimes he will because he's good and he's gracious. And he does that for the sake of his beautiful name too he has what you need and you can pray this prayer knowing that he is able and willing to provide what you need for today. And what you need for today may not be what you think you need for today. But even if you don't get what you think you need, he's got you. He can take care of you. And he knows your needs better than you do. And he's got all the storehouses in the world to provide what you need from. So he can absolutely do it and he's willing. And so pray for what you need and pray for what you need today. Jesus is just repeatedly combating our constant anxiety, worry, and fear about the future. Go read Matthew 6 where Jesus talks about our anxiety. And he tells us to not be concerned about tomorrow because today has enough trouble for itself. In other words, focus in on whatever God has placed in front of you today. Stop worrying about what may or may not happen tomorrow. Trust God with tomorrow by praying for what you need today. Trust God for tomorrow by means of trusting him today in prayer. He has what you need today. He's willing to give it. And he wants you to ask. He wants you to ask. He's a loving father who loves his sons and daughters, and he's a king who has all the storehouses in the world. So pray for what you need today, and trust him for tomorrow by doing that today. Five, Jesus teaches us to pray for forgiveness. He says in verse four, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So first of all, we have to acknowledge, like Jesus just asked us to acknowledge something about us in prayer, that we need something redemptive from God, that we have a status because of our sin and rebellion against him where we are in need of forgiveness from God. We need him to forgive us because we cannot make up for what we've done. We can strive our whole lives to be a good person. But that never erases the bad things we've done. It's not how it works. And we know this through relationships, right? We know this. Whenever we do something wrong against someone, doing something good for them, while it may make them feel better about us some of the time, it doesn't erase what we did. We still need forgiveness. And it's the same in our relationship with God. We cannot erase through good works and actions and being a moral person, being a good person who does more good than bad. We cannot erase our debt. We can't forgive ourselves for it. We need God, the one that we have sinned against, David, David, when he's talking about his sin against others, his sin against Bathsheba and Uriah, her family, he says, against you alone, Lord, have I sinned. And what he means is not that he's not sinned against them, but that all sin is primarily sin against the God who made us. That when we sin against a fellow image bearer of God, we are sinning against the God who made them in his image. And so we need forgiveness ultimately from God. Do we need it from others too? Absolutely. But we need forgiveness from God. And so Jesus, as he's teaching us to pray, he says, pray for forgiveness from God for your sin. And listen, God is willing to grant this too. Think about it. Jesus is teaching us to pray this, and Jesus knows God is willing to grant forgiveness because Jesus is the means by which that forgiveness can be offered to us. Jesus knows as he teaches the disciples to pray this way, to pray for forgiveness, that he's headed to the cross where he's going to pay the price for them so that they can be forgiven by God. But there's the second part of the prayer that's kind of confusing for us. He says, And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Everyone is a lot of people. Everyone is a lot of forgiveness. Pastor Grant, I don't know if I'm that forgiving of a person. I mean, I'm still wrestling with some, some people in my life. I don't really know how to forgive Does that mean I can't be forgiven by God? I don't think that's the way we're meant to read this passage. Let me kind of frame it this way. I think what Jesus is communicating to us is that people who are forgiven by God are people who forgive others. In other words, people who understand the grace of God that is extended to us and receive it, we, we take it in. God extends forgiveness to us in Christ, and we, those who actually receive it by faith, by repentant faith in Jesus, who take hold of it, who understand it, they are those who also forgive those around them. There's an understanding of forgiveness here that translates so that people who ask forgiveness for God, from God and receive it are people who forgive others around them. It's not a, hey, you're struggling with forgiving that person. Sorry, you're not forgiven by God anymore. That's not, that's not what this means. But your forgiveness from God will transform your heart and mind over time. And if you continue to draw near to him, He'll teach you how to forgive. He'll teach you how to forgive those around you. I think one of the reasons that forgiveness is so hard for us is because we utterly misunderstand it, and I wish we had more time to dive into that, but we begin to think things like forgiveness means there's no consequences on earth. There's no illegal or criminal consequences. There's no consequences in relationships, and, and that's just not true, Forgiveness doesn't erase all consequences, and forgiveness also doesn't always mean complete reconciliation, this side of heaven. There are times in which you will extend forgiveness to someone, and they will not receive it, and so there's no reconciliation. But you've forgiven, you've extended forgiveness, and they've chosen to reject that forgiveness. And so there's no reconciliation between the two parties. And there doesn't have to be for you to extend forgiveness. And there are also times in which you will forgive, and there's maybe a sense in which you are reconciled, but really it's probably better to talk about it in terms of forgiveness But there's still some consequences for that relationship. There's still some ways in which it's going to be different. Because here's the thing about love and forgiveness. They are offered freely. But things like trust, trust is earned over time. And so we begin to think things like forgiveness and trust are equivalent. Forgiveness and reconciliation are always equivalent. Uh, forgiveness and a lack of consequences are equivalent. And then forgiveness becomes extremely hard because we've made biblical forgiveness into something that it's actually not. So here's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness involves trusting judgment to God. It involves lifting something up and giving it to him. It's it's a saying that I'm no longer going to actively hold this against you and seek out revenge for what you've done against me. Instead, I'm going to trust you to the Lord. I'm going to extend forgiveness to you. And the reason that we can extend forgiveness to others is because of the cross. It's because of who God is, really. There's three means by which God accomplishes justice in what is right, good, and true that allow us to have the freedom to forgive if we know Christ. One is that God has ordained governing authorities as a means by which he brings about justice. And yeah, in a broken world, it, that system is broken and it doesn't always happen the way that it should be. But that's not all that God does. God has also sent Jesus to die on the cross so that you can extend forgiveness to someone trusting that justice maybe has already been done. Maybe the price has already been paid by Jesus on the cross. And you can point them to him and say, seek forgiveness from him because he's the one that you really need it from. You've got mine, now go to him. And you can do that knowing that if they don't seek forgiveness from God, that if justice was not poured out on the cross, that one day those who have not turned from sin and trusted in Jesus will inherit justice so you don't when you're thinking about whether or not to forgive someone and and how you can do that you don't have to be worried about whether or not justice will be done because god is a just judge and he accomplishes justice through a variety of means and particularly through the cross or through the judgment. And you can lift that to him. You don't have to seek vengeance because God says, vengeance is mine. You can trust him with that. And you can extend forgiveness. And you can do so also knowing that you can because of the forgiveness that's been extended to you in Jesus. That despite everything you've done, big or small, all of it, even the things that you couldn't imagine a way to forgive someone for that you've done against God, God, if you're in, Jesus Christ has forgiven you. And that understanding, when you seek that kind of forgiveness from him and receive it, will transform your ability to forgive those around you. And I'm not saying it won't be a process and it won't be hard. But God's grace is sufficient for you in that place to teach you to grow in that. There's a lot more that can be said about that. I know it's frustrating to leave it there, but we've got to get to our last point and get out of here. Jesus finally teaches us to pray for deliverance. Look at how he ends the prayer. He says, and lead us not into temptation. So listen, life in a broken world where there's suffering and sin, there's suffering around us, there's suffering that we experience, there's sin happening around us and there is sin in us. With both of these things present, there's a lot of temptation and trial in life. And life is hard. And Jesus ends this this prayer by saying, ask God, lead us not into temptation. And if you read the other version of it in Matthew, Matthew goes on and he says, deliver us from evil. So we're asking God with this end of the prayer, God, would you deliver me? Would you help me? Would you rescue me? And it's a good prayer to pray. And it's not contrary to how God sometimes leads us through a trial or through a place where we experience temptation. If you think about early on in the Gospel of Luke, we read that the Spirit of God drove Jesus out into the wilderness where he would be tempted by the devil. And, that's not, and God is not one who tempts. God never tempts us. But he does lead us through temptation. And he is able to deliver us from it. He is able to rescue us and help us in the midst of it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 13 that there is no temptation that has overtaken you that is not common to man. Meaning, you may be experiencing something that's really, really hard right now in your life. But you're not alone. You're not alone. No matter how much the enemy or others try to tell you that you are, you're not. It's common to man, meaning that our experience of these kinds of things is common. Even if we don't know others who have experienced this, there are others who have experienced what we're walking through. And and the hope of the verse isn't even in that part that we're not alone. It's the next part which says, God is faithful. He is faithful to provide the way of escape. And it may not be the way that you hope for or the way that you're looking for, but God is faithful. He's a deliverer of his people. He strengthens us and helps us. He gives us the wisdom that we need. He gives us what we need. And he's faithful and you can run to him. Because he's a father that loves you. Let's pray. Father, we come to you praying this prayer that your son has taught us to pray. Praying that your name would be glorified and made holy on display for all to see. praying that you would forgive us our sins and help us to forgive those around us, praying that you would give us today our daily bread, what we need for today, and help us to trust you for tomorrow. God, we pray that your kingdom would come. We pray that you would establish that redemptive rule and reign in our hearts, in the hearts of our loved ones, and the hearts of many many from all the peoples of the earth and that one day you would bring about your kingdom on this earth in a full and complete way that we would see physically what you are already doing spiritually in us. And God, we pray that as we live as sojourners and strangers in this foreign land where things are hard and messy but we're your ambassadors and you've sent us here, God, would you equip us and strengthen us, and as temptations and trials come, God, lead us not into them and deliver us from them. Help us, Lord. We need your grace. We need your strength, your wisdom, and your help. And we ask for it as sons and daughters, in the beautiful name of your son, Jesus. Amen.